These children don't ask to be in this situation. These babies, teenagers, don't ask to be in foster care in this kind of situation. So I feel like it's a a minimal sacrifice for us to be sad for a few days when these kids have been through so much. And just to have them in your home for a short amount of time to be able to pray over them, plant some seeds possibly, and um, just show them what true love, you know, unconditional love is for however amount of time is worth the, the heartbreak that we as adults, you know, have to experience. How did you, Lily was number two, mm-hmm. right? So then how did you guys start with um, number one? With Ty. Um, are you recording this already? I have been. <laughs> okay. Um, so with Ty, we, um, I just really felt the burden um, that God was placing on my heart to give a child without a family, a family. It seemed like a fairly simple thing to do. Um, but God really just put that burden on my heart to um, look after the orphan. So um, it was undeniable. We already had three biological kids and um, very busy lives already, but um, the burden was undeniable. And so uh, when my husband finally got on board, he was reluctant (laughs) at first, Um, but once he finally got on board and we started the process, there was just no turning back. Um, we knew that our child, uh, was coming from a foreign country, uh, just in our hearts. Um, and we knew that he had brown skin, uh, he or she, we didn't know at that time, but, uh, initially we thought he would be from Haiti. That didn't work out, um, so he was from Ethiopia, and there's millions of orphans in Ethiopia that need families, and that's where our son was. When you say undeniable, I'll talk a little bit about that, because probably, I'm not going to say a majority, but most people are like, I'm pretty sure God was leading me in this direction. Mm. Not everybody's story is... It was it was a done deal. I knew we had to walk this out and carry it through. I think that sooner or later the, the evidence becomes like there's so many things stacked up to, to, to not listen would be in the disobedient category. Mm-hmm. But when you say undeniable, it was almost you were saying like this is this is I just knew it. And so mm-hmm. talk a little bit how you got to that spot. Um. Well, I think I would say it was both physical and spiritual. Like I could feel the burning in my chest um, and the weight on my chest of uh, this is something that you need to do, I'm calling you to do. But also just um, this constant nagging in my mind of you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And we had been sponsoring a child through Compassion International for years and 
you know, donate to many ministries and help children in a lot of ways, but it came to a point where that wasn't enough. And God was making that very clear. Uh, there was just, um, it just wouldn't leave my mind. It was on my heart and my mind constantly. I was in tears over it constantly, uh, very prayerful about it, on my knees in prayer, just really asking for clarity. I just, there was, there was no getting around it after weeks, which doesn't seem like a very long time at this point. At the, in the moment, it seemed like forever. Um, but weeks of really feeling that pressure and that burden and the the call to go forward with this. And what was your greatest fear deciding to move forward? So maybe Matt, once Matt comes alongside, mm-hmm. you start realizing that, okay, I guess we're going for it. Mm-hmm. Like, What was a fear of yours where you're like, you had that kind of pause or maybe you didn't have a pause? I don't really remember being all that fearful. There were a lot of unknowns. Um, but once we started the process, I felt the the burden release, you know, like we're doing the right thing. Um, God kept opening door after door, making it so easy. We were concerned about financially, can we do this? Because it's international adoption is quite costly. Um, you know, traveling to a foreign country was a bit intimidating uh, for the first time going that far and leaving our kids, our biological children at home for that two trips. Um, but never, I never questioned whether or not we were doing the right thing or whether or not we would be able to handle it or anything along those lines. Um, in hindsight, I probably should have had a little more fear. I think it was a blessing that we were so naive about what we were getting into. Uh, but in the moment, we just rode the waves and uh, allowed God to move. Yeah. Sometimes the easiest thing is just to get out of your own self's yeah. way and just let things happen. Yes. So everything said and done with Ty, how mm-hmm. did Lily come into the picture? Lily was completely different. Um, We, again, thought our family was done. Uh, But some friends approached us to see if we would take in a newborn temporarily. Um, She needed a place for about the first five weeks of her life so that she and her biological mother could get into a program together and um, live their lives out happily. At that time, you know, this is a while after Ty's adoption, our hearts had really turned more toward reunification than adoption. And um, really just what can we do now to keep families together? And we helped with some programs in Ethiopia to do that and, and some locally here through a program called Safe Families, uh, not a not the technical fostering um, through the county. It was the more informal ministry type thing. And so uh, we really, I should say, I really was like, this is our opportunity. We can help this mom and baby stay together. It'll be temporary. Uh, Matt 
uh, we like to call it, had a reluctant peace about it. Um, and we made sure everybody knew this was temporary. We were not keeping this baby. Um, she's now seven <laughs> and has been with us uh, ever since. So That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So how have your views changed from the maybe pre-Ty Tracy to mm-hmm. the 2021 Tracy? How have, how have mm-hmm. your views changed about adoption, fostering, mm-hmm. the whole uh, circle of it? Well, I would say, first of all, I went from being very naive um, to much more eyes wide open. Um, I was not at all aware of or informed of the trauma that comes with children through adoption, no matter the age. Um, Being separated from your birth mother creates trauma and, and leads to different behaviors as they grow up. Some worse than others, and you know, some not at all. But um, I really um, have a hard time saying that international adoption is always um, ethical. We've learned a lot about that over the years. Of um, there's a lot of def- desperate people in this world. And to make sure that if you're going the international route, you make sure that it's done ethically. Um, And just trying to keep families together if it's safe, you know, for the child. How to support foster families, um, even if you don't feel called to foster or you're not in a position to be able to foster to and adoptive families to be able to support them by taking the meals or... um, bringing a coffee or sitting with them when they cry, when the baby has to be returned or, you know, supporting in those ways, because it is difficult uh, physically and emotionally for foster and adoptive families. You know, when we have a baby through birth, or even if it's an adoption that's been in process for a long time and you're waiting on a newborn Everybody rallies around you. You have baby showers, friends and family bring you gifts. Dad takes time off work. You know, it's this whole, your life stops and it all revolves around this baby. When a foster family brings home a baby, nothing changes. (laughs) You know, they just go right into the next day, sending their kids to school and going to work and making meals and all of that. And it's really hard to do that with a newborn baby. So I think my heart's just kind of changed and softened in a lot of ways, but also a lot more eyes wide open to uh, this is not a simple process. And I having faith throughout the whole process makes a huge difference. Um, and just being supportive of the families who are answering that call to foster or adopt. When we brought home child from the foster care system, um, there wasn't a huge rally. There wasn't a huge, you know, party. Um, some family didn't even know, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to figure out how to notify them that you had just brought home a baby. It may not be yours. Um, and they may not even stay. So, Mm -hmm. 
you, you want to celebrate this child because they're special. And mm-hmm. so you do as a family, but it's a very odd dichotomy because other family are like, well, why are you doing that? Sometimes they're like, you're putting mm-hmm. yourself at risk emotionally. And I feel like it's a very difficult thing from the outside to to rally to, to it's like, it's like, it's awkward, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what to do. And so that response from, from family or people that are close to you or even friends puts you as a foster parent in a very, um, odd uh, mood maybe is the right Mm -hmm. word where like, why aren't you, why don't you see how beautiful this is and you're not Mm -hmm. celebrating, um, you don't know how to respond to us, um, and it can, it can cause, I think, foster parents to turn inward and just kind of mm. stay and work out these problems, um, and, and kind of hermit in and cocoon in for too long, um, mm. because they're afraid that people don't understand. It can be a very lonely place, I think, because some people just don't understand and it's not their fault. It, they just are wired differently. They just don't understand that call. And um, it can be a very lonely place when you feel like people don't understand you, especially those closest to you. How do you encourage someone who who may be on the fence and is like maybe in that space where I want to do it, but I'm just too fearful. You know, Mm -hmm. I I can't. I don't think I could do that. It'd be like losing a child if that happened. Um, We've had dozens of people say that to us. We've also had some people who have been like, well, if Matt and Tracy can do it, I can do it. Um, cause we're just regular, normal people. Um, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. You know, with, uh, our youngest, we had to hand her over at about five weeks old and knowing that that was going to happen the whole time. It wasn't a surprise. She wasn't pulled out from underneath us. It was awful. It was gut wrenching. Um, especially because we had some concerns about where she was going at that point. Um, but I, I, you know, it's hard to say because she did end up coming back, you know, so we got the happy ending. But if she had never come back, you know, it got, it got a little easier every day um, as we start washing her stuff and putting it away. And, you know, we started to get used to the idea that she wasn't around anymore. And, and we grieved. Uh, there's definitely a grieving process, but it's still worth it. And those, these children don't ask to be in this situation. These babies, teenagers don't ask to be in foster care in this kind of situation. So I feel like it's a, a minimal sacrifice for us to be sad for a few days when these kids have been through so much. And just to have them in your home for a short amount of time to be able to pray over them, plant some seeds possibly, and um, just show them what true love, you know, unconditional love is for however amount of time is worth the, the heartbreak that we as adults, you know, have to experience. You know, there's been a handful of times in my life where my faith has grown exponentially. And those two adoption journeys were two of those times. There's so much out of our control in those situations. And we, I think this past year has taught us that as well. Um, 
we think we have control over our lives and we have a, you know, a say in how things turn out, but ultimately we don't. And through the adoption process, to have to just sit back and trust that God is going to work this all out for his good and his glory, and it might not look like what we think it will, makes your faith grow big time. It really does, like nothing else, because, you know, like I said, we think we have control and we can control the outcome with our son. We had gone through court and finished that process, so we were legally his parents in the eyes of his birth country. We went to pick him up, and he was not the baby we were expecting. He was very ill. We were expecting, when we had seen him two months earlier, he was very healthy, a vibrant six-month-old growing, and two months later, he couldn't hold his head up. He had zero muscle tone. He was very, very sick, and we thought, oh my gosh, we're going to have a child with special needs on our hands, and we're not equipped for that. But just, you know what, God, we trust you. We trust you in all of this, and if this is what you have for us, then we'll just keep saying yes. And, um, you know, that's... Our son is totally fine now. He does not have special needs. And that was an answer to many prayers um, and God's provision. But to just say, I don't have any control over this and I trust you, God, is uh, a good way to see your faith grow leaps and bounds. I think that's why we've come back to it on more than one occasion, because we know that that's God's heart and Mm. he's in that space and he's working Mm -hmm. in that space. How have you seen your kids change um, kind of moving through that? Because you have three biological mm-hmm. before Ty, correct? Mm-hmm. And Lily. So tell me a little bit about what you've seen in your kids through this adoption process. For our three biological daughters, who are the three oldest, um, adoption was a very foreign uh, concept to them. We don't have adoption within our family, within our friends up to that point. Uh, So it really opened up their eyes in a lot of ways, number one, just to adoption. Um, Also to the plight of the orphan, that people live differently in other parts of this country and how fortunate we are. And uh, it's really just kind of softened their hearts all around in in turn, they share that with their friends and their community, and it opens up more eyes and creates more awareness. And you know, in school, they have to write some kind of a paper, and they write about adoption or the, you know, their siblings, and it just really opens the eyes of a lot of people, not just them. And for our other two, our son has just kind of remained constant all along. Um, our youngest started with a lot of anxiety and um, what they called disrupted attachment because, you know, we gave her back at that five-week mark, but she went back and forth a few times between us and her birth mom and in emergency foster care one night. So she, uh, that kind of kinked up her wires a little bit. And she, from very early on, suffered with anxiety and um a lot of heavy, a lot of heavy feelings for such a little baby. And she has grown into the most confident, 
um, outspoken, uh, feisty seven-year-old girl I've ever seen. And, um, you know, that's, that was all God because it, uh, it broke us a lot of times. And I will say the the older kids, um, probably have some secondary trauma from that because it was rough in our house for a while. And, uh, but to see the healing that she's experienced from all of that is just, I can't believe I get a front seat to it to see how far she's come. That's awesome. What do you want your kids to say about you when they grow up? I think first I would like them to say that I pointed them to Jesus, that uh, he had first place in my life and that I helped cultivate that in them as they grew, uh, that they knew I loved them, but that I was not perfect and I did the best I could. And, uh, but no matter what, that they were loved and never, never question that. Do you have a favorite quote or verse or anything? Hmm. I'm not super big on that kind of thing, but I know when we were going through both of the adoptions, mostly the second, I, uh, there was a quote, and I can't even tell you who it came from, but it just is air on the side of love. And uh, that and just give God your best yes. And that's uh, basically what got us through. <laughs>